this is Wes. And this is Adam. And together, we are the Comic Book Cabinet. This week, we are covering the one, the only, the invincible Iron Man. Oh, hell yeah, we're doing it. Iron Man's awesome. Uh, the MCU released that as kind of their first big movie, I feel like. It was the first comic book movie I really even watched. I loved Loved Iron Man, the movie, back in uh, 2008, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the interesting thing is they had had done maybe two or three other movies, and they just failed. I mean, they had the Hulk movies. Because they had a couple of Hulks, yeah. yeah those were awful. They were not super great. They didn't do very well. So I, I wonder if they thought they were taking a risk with that Iron Man movie. Uh, you know, a little bit, yeah. especially with the failure of all the other movies before it. But And we'll get into it, but the fact that they covered... Cu- like the comic book so closely. Right. I mean, they got a spot on. Yeah. It well, and the crazy awesome thing is, is it launched the MCU. If it hadn't been for that movie, we wouldn't have Endgame coming out here in a couple of weeks. And with the guy they chose to play Tony Stark in the movies, it, perfect. I, they couldn't have chosen a better no, person. I, Robert Downey Jr. is basically Tony Stark. He is. Especially Tony Stark. at this point, like he has the suits and everything. Uh, yeah, he's gone through the relapses. He's gone through the relapses. That's uh, the big thing. He was an yeah. Op- yeah. And I just want to go ahead and lay a little bit of groundwork for this episode. It's going to be a little bit different than the previous episodes. Uh, Iron Man, it's a little complex. A little complex. And it and only got. Honest, go ahead. It's your favorite one, so you want to read more of it. <laughs> it's true, man. You read more Green Lantern, but freaking, Iron Man's fine, right? Yeah, Green Lantern sucks. <laughs> uh, have you seen Iron Man? It's amazing. Okay. Have yes. they made a great Green Lantern movie yet? No. They even had Ryan Reynolds as Green Lantern, and it still sucked. (laughs) Yeah, don't remind me. Okay, now that I have uh, rubbed salt into that wound. So we're going to actually split Iron Man into two separate episodes. This episode, we are covering up to about... we're. About episode, uh, issue about 250, somewhere in the 250 to 300s-ish. Absolutely. So we're covering everything up until the if movies. You, if you want to know the history of Iron Man, stay right here. All right, Wes, where did Iron Man appear first? Uh, the first appearance and creative team. So Iron Man first appeared in a set of comic books from Marvel called Tales of Suspense, number 39. The plot was written by none other than the one and only Stan Lee. Uh, The script was by Larry Lieber, art by Don Heck, and lettering by Art Smek. So they had the dream team, the golden boys on this. Oh, yeah. I mean, can you imagine Stan Lee all those years ago writing Tells of Suspense number 39? There's no way he was thinking one day that this will create a cinematic universe of amazement for all of these people. I mean, comic books have become pop culture because of that movie. I mean, come on, let's be serious. It was Stan Lee. He probably knew this would exactly happen. The man uh, could see into the future. So you want to tell us about the original team, Adam? Yeah, we'll talk about the original team. We got Tony Stark, obviously, who is Iron Man. Uh, Playboy billionaire. Well, I guess at the point he was written, he was probably just a millionaire. He's known as a billionaire now, of course. Well, inflation. Inflation, right. And then we've got the beautiful Pepper Potts, who is, is his assistant in the comics. Who, secretary, yeah. Secretary, and she also becomes a very big role later on, which we'll cover in the next episode. Uh, then you've got Happy Harold, who I don't think he's ever been in the movies. No, I haven't seen any mention of Happy Harold even in the comic books once you get past uh, pretty much the Bronze Age. And you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I want to say that the director of the Iron Man movies actually makes an appearance as someone that could be based off of Happy. 
Really? Yeah, now okay. that I'm thinking about it, that's kind of on the fly. Uh, I'm not going to confirm it, but... We're going to go back and watch it and find out. Yeah, absolutely. We, we are planning on watching all three movies for the next episode, so... On top of that, you also have Miss Abergast, who replaces Pepper Potts after she makes her leave of the comics. And Mrs. Abergast is a badass. Yeah, she's pretty awesome. She rules the roost in that office. If you walk in there without an appointment, you might as well see yourself out. Yep. And then you've got Professor Yin Sin, who helped him create the actual Iron Man armor itself. So, you, I mean, there's no Iron Man without him. And then you've got Jarvis, uh, the butler for uh, Iron Man himself. Now, tell us about the villains, Wes. Sure. Mandarin. I think, uh, I think you might have heard of him. Yes, the Mandarin. One of the probably most famous villains of all time. I mean, this guy's awesome. And he's super powerful. See, you say the greatest villain or the most known villain of all time, but I had never heard of Mandarin because I haven't seen Iron Man 3 yet. Yeah, I have but not even, even heard of Mandarin until we started reading Iron Man. You're like, no, no, we have got to cover some Mandarin yeah. lines. The, like, I just remember reading the Mandarin as a kid and, and thinking no one could touch him. He was such a cool character to me. Uh, you Then you have... <laughs> we've joked about this guy for a little bit, oh, Mr. Yeah. Doll. Which I don't think he even shows up again. He, he was in like the second issue. But I ha we had to include him as the greatest villains of Iron Man because he's so ridiculous. Yeah, he basically creates voodoo dolls of billionaires and then makes them sign over their money to him. And it's amazing. And the cops can't do anything because, well, legally you signed it over. Well, you signed it over. And then he like uh, he's able to mold the, the voodoo doll right there in the middle. Right. So if he makes it look like Iron Man, it controls Iron Man. Which makes no sense because wouldn't he have to make it look like Tony Stark? That's in all of his other use cases, they're people, but for some reason it worked with Iron Man. Who knows? Whatever. It's, it's magic, man, right? Uh, then you have Whiplash, which Who? I believe showed up in the second movie Iron of Iron Man. Man 2. Ricky Rorick. He uses Ricky a whip. Rourke. Who doesn't like a guy who uses an electric whip? I, I love Whiplash. I've always thought he was a really fun villain. A ghost shows up in a lot of uh, issues. Uh, then you have one of my favorites, uh, Dr. Doom. Dr. Doom is awesome. And I keep talking about how I've never read comic books, but I had three action figures growing up. Yeah. And I still remember the way their plastic tastes in my mouth. Because <laughs> I had them when I was that young. I was eating <laughs> these action figures. Uh, I had Captain America, Iron Man, and Doctor Doom. Nothing better than chewing on some Doctor Doom, man. Feet. Uh, chewing, chewing on, on his feet. feet. Yeah. Love it. Uh, then you have Justin Hammer, who's like doesn't really show up as like a villain that he fights, but Tony Stark has to deal with Hammer. A I would lot. almost say that Justin Hammer is like Tony Stark's villain. Not Absolutely. so much Iron Man. Like Justin probably sees Iron Man as one of his uh, competitors, but it's really Tony and Justin more so than Iron Man and Justin. Then you have two huge MCU villains show up for the very first time in one of Iron Man's comics, and that's Drax and Thanos. Yeah, and while Drax isn't a villain, he does appear right there with Thanos. Uh, and completely different than any of the MCU stuff. Yeah, uh, but the, the Thanos... original appearance of Drax is not anything close to the MCU. And they rewrite him in the comic books at some point. And Thanos, though, he has the chin, and he looks like Thanos. Yeah. He just doesn't have the glove. He's not going after Infinity Stones, and he hasn't ruined the entire world yet. Not yet. He's working on it. Uh, then you have Obadiah Stane. Who was featured in the first Iron Man movie. And I gotta say, that version of Obadiah Stane is my favorite. Like, they did a great job with him in the comics, don't get me wrong. But there's when I think of the dude, I think of Obadiah Stane. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the number one villain of Tony Stark and Iron Man in the end is alcohol. Oh, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, even a hero has substance abuse issues. And boy, does he. They even go into great detail of his battle with alcohol. And, and we're going to get into it. Yeah. It causes this. some interesting writing. It does. Uh, I enjoy it. 
and the fact that they've uh, been willing to include this at a time when maybe it's a little taboo to talk about something like alcoholism. Absolutely. This reminds me a lot of the uh, Green Arrow, Green Lantern with uh, heroin abuse. I mean, this was the period in time where they were trying to teach people about social issues through comics. And to target kids. Yeah. To let them know that this is a thing. And watch out for it, because uh, it'll ruin even your favorite characters. Absolutely. So let's take it all the way back to <laughs> Tales of Suspense, number 39. Tales of Suspense, number 39. Let's and start out with the invention so far, Wes. Tell me. The invention The first so invention. Far. You know me. I got to be cheesy, man. Right. Uh, the first invention of Iron Man are these little things known as transistors. Yeah. So Without transistors, Iron Man would never exist. And now we talk about transistors. Not really a huge thing. We've gone on to micro crop. Uh, mic- we have gone on to micro processors and other tiny inventions. And Iron Man is, of course, at the forefront of all of this. Tony Stark is it throughout the entire comic book series. But right now, we're talking about 1968. Everybody is raving about these little things called transistors, normally really big. He has been able to miniaturize them and include them in weapons used in the Vietnam War. Yeah, so I guess if you've ever seen the first Iron Man movie, you know that it takes place overseas in Afghanistan and the Middle East. They literally copied that introduction, the first appearance, and just changed the war. Because when I read that comic, I I couldn't believe how close it was to Iron Man 1. It was damn near panel for panel. Yeah, it is... uh, very starkly different is what I was going to say, but that doesn't ah! work. <laughs> I cannot believe how close they, they got it. I mean, most superhero movies are just not like that. So he's an owner uh, technologist of Stark Enterprises. Stark Enterprises at this point is a weapon manufacturer. They are there to make weapons, mines, bombs, anything to help out the U.S. military in Vietnam at the time. So he's got these transistor mines. He's going out into the field of battle in Vietnam, uh, trips a booby trap, yeah, and blows himself up. It seems odd to me still that he was actually evaluating his own products. Like You'd think he would have someone out there doing it, but I guess Tony wants to make sure his own products work. Stan Lee wanted a reason to write about a billionaire that uh, makes his own weapons. That's fair. That's fair. So you got to send him into danger. Otherwise, nothing bad can ever happen. True. Uh, so yeah, so damage, iron shrapnel near his heart. Uh, it's about to pump into his heart, but he's able to keep it out and away from it uh, through his own inventions. He's been captured by the Wong Chu clan, who is basically this terrorist group in Vietnam, and they want him to make weapons out of this pile of junk that they give him. Literally. Right. It's like It looked like just a bunch of tables and random computer parts. So he actually works with Professor Yin Sin. Yeah, he's working too slow, so the Wong Chu clan sends in this professor to assist him to build faster. Right. So after Professor Yin Sin comes in and tries to help him out, they actually create this like metallic uh, magnet suit. It's not even a suit. It's just a chest plate. It's a chest plate that keeps the iron shrapnel away from his heart so Tony Stark can continue to live. Right. And he continues to build the Iron Man suit to try and escape. He says he's going to build them the best weapon they've ever seen. And boy, does he. Yeah. And just like the movie, he eventually builds the suit. He has to charge it up. But Professor Yinsen dives out into the hallway and stalls the Wong Chu clan from attacking just long enough for Tony Stark's suit to charge up. He powers himself up and he goes out and he wrecks face. Absolutely. Yeah, he's able to get out of there. But in the meantime, Professor Yinsen has to sacrifice himself. Has to die. Yeah. And that's just the same exact way it happened in the movies, man. They, they did such a good job with that. All right, Wes, I got to bring something up because I was kind of cracking up about this. 
we read Tales of Suspense 39, and I think we read like 48 and 50 and 55, a couple of those issues to kind of get a good idea of what Tony Stark was like before he actually had his own series. And in one of those issues, he is fighting uh, Doctor Doom. It's a very, very early issue. And he pulls out a slide rule on his arm, like a built-in slide rule. Yeah. And it, it blew my mind because I'm sitting here thinking like, dude, you've got <laughs> micro transistors. Like, what are you doing with a slide rule? Because uh, can't... I've never even seen a slide rule. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like uh, 1964-ish is when all this is happening. Yeah. And uh, the thing I'm thinking about is why would he not have some sort of miniaturized computer? Like, I get it. Well, it's 64. I mean, you haven't right. even really dreamed of computers yet. Uh, Star Trek's not for a few more years. Uh, computers are still the size of rooms. Sure. So to imagine uh, making them small enough to fit into your pocket or your suit of armor, he has to have a slide rule to do calculations so that he can uh, calculate the angle of entry to kill Dr. Doom off. I guess. I just, it cracked me up because I, I looked it up. You get the first episode of Star Trek dropping in 1966. So this is 64-ish. That's two years difference. And then not only that, but three years after Star Trek, you've got the first landing on the moon. People were, they had to have been thinking about these things. So we're going to skip ahead to a few, uh, a few issues in. Uh, a great run for Iron Man called Demon in a Bottle. Yeah, Demon in a Bottle was one of the, I, I believe still at this point, it's considered probably the most critically acclaimed Iron Man issues, Iron Man yeah. series. They lead up to the issue Demon in a Bottle by having Iron Man fight a bunch of different battles. Yeah, but at it, the end of each issue, or in the middle or somewhere in there, all of his friends, they make a huge point about the fact, hey, you sure you want to drink another one of those? Isn't that enough alcohol for one night? Yeah, and it seems like it doesn't matter what's going on with him. He always has something in his hand to, to sip on. It's whiskey, a beer, a cocktail of some sort. He is always drinking. Yeah, I think he even shows up uh, to the office one morning with, like, Jack in his hand. And Miss Abergast is like, Tony, it's 5 a.m. And he goes, well, it's 5 p.m. somewhere. Right. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, it, he found any excuse he could to have a drink in his hand. But he was under uh, attack on all sides. He had a uh, hammer was trying to control his suit, so his suit was malfunctioning. He had S.H.I.E.L.D. trying to take over Stark Industries, so Tony Stark was stressed out all the time. So with the he had to find some way to deal with it, and the bottle was the way he chose to do Around it. Around this time, Hammer has been over, I guess, several issues now, kind of experimenting on the suit. Tony will be out in the field doing something, and Hammer's observing from far away, and will like click a button, and his suit randomly blips for like a second. And then over these few issues, Hammer says, okay, it's time to initiate phase two, phase three, phase four. The last phase was him finally completely taking over the suit and being able to control it remotely. We have this huge scene set up where an ambassador from a fictitious place called Carnelian is wanting to basically create a contract with Tony Stark. Now, they kind of make a few slides in this issue about how the only reason they want to do it is because they want to meet Iron Man. And so the ambassador shows up, Iron Man is there to seal the deal, and lo and behold, Hammer takes over and shoots the ambassador with the Iron Man armor. And it's awful. Uh, and that causes the public to just, like, completely turn yeah, on Iron Man. This is Man. on live TV. Everyone saw this. The whole world had to have been watching. And so Tony dives, boom, right into the bottle, and he is drunk, 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 drunk. So drunk 
he flies through the window of his office. And he, he gets out of the window flying in his Iron Man suit, turns around and goes, oops, I forgot to open the window. He he does not do a good job of bouncing back from this one. And he thinks, oh, well, I'm totally fine to fly. And he continues to fly on. He sees a uh, train derailment. Yeah, He's he, like, I can help that. I can help. I can totally help. And they've got some sort of crazy, like, uh, it's not H2O, it's a helium It's chlorine gas chlorine in gas, this tank. Is. And they make a big point of all the people like, wow, that train derailment was terrible. But at least the chlorine gas tank didn't crack or explode. So we do not have to evacuate this area. Everything is okay. And then Iron Man swoops in to save the day. And he's like, I got this, bro. Don't worry. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, and so he, he picks it up to, I guess, transport it, but instead the handles that he's holding onto snap, it hits the ground, and you got gas everywhere. He, and he just flies This off. tool, I know, like, it blew my mind because <laughs> I'm reading it, and I'm thinking, like, you could at least do something. But no, he just kind of looks around dumbfounded, like, oh, well, screwed the pooch, and then just ditches. <laughs> doesn't, like, help anybody get out. Doesn't save the, yeah. the guy who... the the police officer down on the ground who's now sucking chlorine gas on the bottom. Right, nothing. It, Iron Man just pieces out. Oh, I blew my... I was so infuriated when I read that. And it worked great. So finally, finally, after uh, one of his best friends, Bethany Cabe. Bethany Cabe. She tells... She she's tells kind of a lover a, of his. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely a paramour of Tony yes. Stark. Uh, she tells him an anecdote of a previous either husband or boyfriend that... Fell into the uh, pills, I think. Yeah, he became a pill head and ended up with a lot of issues and due to his substance abuse, died. And she just doesn't want to go through it again, but she wants to help Tony out. And he says, okay, I'll do it. Yeah, and he decides to give up his drink. He does. He does relapse. In issues number 167 through 182, uh, he relapses into alcoholism, which causes one of his best friends, uh, James Rhodes, to become Iron Man. Most of you all probably know James Rhodes from the movies as War Machine. Uh, he's been in all three movies. They did do an actor change between one and two, but he's been a staple of the Marvel Cinematic Universe since the very first Iron Man movie. Except in the movie, he's actually a military man. Right. Even though he and uh, Tony are still friends, they're... It's slightly different uh, relationship. It, it seems like it's more of a business relationship, whereas in the comics, they actually were like best friends. This will let us lead us right into the Ironmonger line. Uh, basically, so Rhodes has been Iron Man for a while now, and he is flipping addicted to being Iron Man and being in the Iron Suit. So Tony Stark, recovering from alcoholism, has decided to take on a new project and create a new Iron Man suit. This causes Jim Rhodes to be super, super jealous. Yeah, Rhodes is not having a good time as the Iron Man. I mean, he's having all kinds of headaches and, and issues, like just physical ailments from the suit itself. I guess the there's they kind of explain it that the suit wasn't mapped to his brain originally, so it was causing these crazy headaches. And this is not only causing him to have physical ailments, but also emotional ailments, because he's so addicted to being Iron Man and being the hero that he kind of starts to slip up a little bit, and he starts losing a couple battles, and this is when he finds out that Tony is making another suit. Well, and yeah, James is actually causing innocence to be put into danger. Right. He's uh, choosing to fight in the middle of a bunch of people or getting someone hurt, and Tony is just not okay with it. And so that's where Tony says, okay, well, I, I don't want to have to do it, but I'm going to have to don the suit again. And he ends up putting on kind of a B version of the suit to help out. Yeah, he's invented a new suit that isn't quite as powerful as the one that Jim is flying around in. Uh, but he's put Iron Man, Tony, is actually put into a really tough uh, decision. Uh, Tigra, 
Is it, is it Tigra or Tigra? I've always called her Tigra myself. I can go with either way, so we're going to say Tigra if that's the way you've done it. Uh, Tigra is actually in trouble. Uh, Dr. Demonicus has captured her, and there's a big battle, and he has to make a choice. Tony Stark has to make a choice of being Iron Man or not, and he decides to do it to help save his friend. And that'll lead us directly into the Ironmonger line for Iron Man. Uh, Rhodes, at this point, is Iron Man. Uh, and Tony is recovering from his relapse into alcoholism. So th- Tony is starting to recover. He is going to be building a new suit. Rhodes is in love with being Iron Man. He uh, adores it. He is addicted to it. So when he sees Tony working on a brand new suit, Rhodes is overcome with huge amounts of jealousy. He may be super jealous, but he's actually having all kinds of really weird problems with the suit itself. Like it's giving him these crazy headaches, and they're they're not just normal headaches. These are like those cluster migraines you hear about that people like kill themselves over. And this was like really nasty for him. But he doesn't want to give up the suit because man, he's Iron Man, and he and nobody can really understand why he's even having these problems. Right, and so finally. Tony tells him, like, hey, man, take the Iron Man suit, go see my pal Hank Pym, and let's get you some help with these headaches. we got to figure out what's going on. And this causes Tony to go to the West Coast Avengers house, and I believe it's Mockingbird and Hawkeye are there. And he tells him, like, hey, uh, you're going to have to take Iron Man off of the list for a little while. He's not really going to be able to help out. He's kind of clocked out for a little bit. That's right, and he could have called them. He could have shown up as Tony Stark, because they know Tony Stark is Iron Man at this point. Well, they don't know, they because they he's about to reveal Oh, it. he does. That's he, right. At this point, he's just the benefactor of the Avengers. That's he's right. He's basically what keeps them running. So he shows up in the Iron Man suit, the B version that he has been working on. It's not quite as powerful as what Rhodes is using, but yeah. it's still an Iron Man suit. And even Hawkeye is like, well, who the fuck are you? Why should I trust you? Like, you're just in some <laughs> random suit. And that's when he takes off his mask and says, well, actually, Hawkeye, I've been Iron Man the whole time. And if you won't trust me, then trust Tony Stark. And it works. It works. works. So Tigra has called in, and she's in some serious deep doo-doo because she's been attacked by a dino and Dr. Demonicus. I'm going for some alliteration here. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Hawkeye and Mockingbird are like, well, we're useless, so what are we going to do? I guess let's go get on a ship and try and help her. I mean... Like they're being pretty honest with themselves. They're not super powered superheroes. (laughs) They're superheroes, but not a lot they can do. And they tell Tony, they're like, Tony, come on, man, you're Iron Man. Like he says, no, 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 I can't do it. I'm not Iron Man anymore. I've given up Iron Man, but I still use the suit to fly here when I could have just called or. All right, I guess I'll go. Right. After like three or four panels, they leave, and then he hears Tiger call in one more time, and he's like, "Well, I am in the suit. Might as well. I did show up here in the suit. Might as well." So they end up, you know, this kind of transitions us into this period where Tony's got a bit of a taste of the Iron Man suit again, but he doesn't really want to go back to being Iron Man. And at the same time, Rhodes is trying to figure out what's going on with his headaches and doesn't want to give up the Iron Man suit. And the whole time, Obadiah Stane is working in the background. Uh, Stane is in charge of uh, Stane Industries, I think is the name of it, or Stane Enterprises. It's but basically SI without the Stark. Exactly. It's the antithesis, the anathema to Stark Industries. Uh, but he's trying to gain control of Stark Industries. So we actually are introduced to the background of Obadiah Stane. And he is one nasty dude. He's And he had no choice in the matter. It was I, from the very yeah. beginning. He was... He was doomed. Well, and you know, the thing is, is in the movie, he played a pretty good villain, right? But they did not go into any of this crazy background story like they did in the comics. I mean, first of all, we've got him, little kid, maybe seven years old, if even that. Right. 
father is addicted to gambling. He shows up after winning a big win at the poker table, and he says, son, you know, all these people have been telling me I'm unlucky. Well, I'm going to show them how lucky I am. He loads up a Russian roulette, and boom, blows his head off. Right, can there, you imagine? In front of his seven-year-old child. Right. We skip a couple years later, and Obadiah Stane is talking about how he always had a plan, no matter who he was facing against, even if it was unorthodox. So he's playing in this chess tournament at and school. And he's uh, in middle school at this yeah. point. Obadiah, as a kid, he's what at this point? Like, in middle school, 11, 12, school, years, 12 old. years old? Yeah, that sounds about right. He's in the middle of this chess tournament. He knows that the the other player, this other chess player, is going to probably beat him. This other kid is really, really good. And I don't think they ever even say the kid's name. I don't think so either. Let's call him Tom. Tom. Tom, the other chess player. (laughs) Tom, the other chess player. So Obadiah Stane sees Tom, the other chess player, out playing with his little pet puppers, Ruffers. And lo and behold, he thinks, you know, he's kind of like the Don, right? Like, he's like, I'll kill the pupper and put it in the locker. That's not what the Don sounds like. I've never seen that movie, (laughs) but I know the premise. The premise is that there's like a, a horse's head that gets chopped off and is put in a bed. Well, Obadiah Stane does it with a dog and a 12-year-old. It's <laughs> a messed up. He kills a dog, puts it in Tom, the other chess player's locker to yes. throw Tom, the other chess player, off of his game. Right. And, and the whole time, works. it works. I mean, Tom, the chess player, doesn't even show up, I don't think, so it's like an automatic win. Oh, man. I just Obadiah can't imagine Stane. being 12 and killing a dog. He's messed it's up. It's messed up. And it only continues as Obadiah grows up. He uh, is hired to work for this company. And the boss ahead of him, he just needs to get rid of him so that he Obadiah can that move ladder. into that office. Yeah. And so he, he basically photoshops the boss man, uh, his wife, with another man. Right. And yeah, I think shows, it's his best friend. Yeah. So he's, he gives this boss man photoshopped pictures of the boss. The boss's wife. The boss's wife and his bo- the boss's best friend. And it throws him off. He sends him into a spiral of probably yeah. heroin and alcohol. I think it even says, all I have to do is wait one more month, and then I will be sitting in that exact spot. And he is. Yeah. It works. And now we have Stain Industries. They now sell weapons to anybody with a checkbook. Absolutely. If you're going to pay for it, he's going to sell. At least Stark may sell weapons, but he's got a little bit of a kerfuffle about selling it to Absolutely. bad guys. I mean, we see he won't even sell. He has like a do not sell list. There's a point in time he won't sell to Latveria. We're going to get into that later. But this guy, hell no, he sells to anybody that'll buy. And he creates his very own personal bodyguards, and he bases them off of chess pieces. Calls them the chessmen. What a dope. I love comic books. I <laughs> really do he now has uh robot bodyguards called the chessmen yeah and it's great during this time uh Rhodes has actually been sent off to kind of deal with some issues he's been having with the Iron Man suit he meets an old hippie an old shaman and they go on a massive trip together and he learns how to deal with just himself and not the Iron Man suit they're like in another dimension this is uh, calling back almost to the Animal Man episode that yeah. we did a while back, uh, where it's some shaman thing, and they go into this alternate territory to explore what it's like to really be Iron Man. So Rhodes comes back uh, with the shaman, and the Iron Man suit's nowhere to be found. It was left in the other dimension. And of course, you can only go to that dimension once, so Rhodes is yeah. SOL. And then there's this like entire comic book dedicated, or the, the actual issue dedicated to how the suit gets back to Rhodes, right. uh, some spirit in the world uh, takes over the suit and feels like he's being drawn to another plane. So he goes through and returns the suit to Jim Rhodes and basically drops the suit off and says, no problem, and flies back. Right. 
So now we've got this point where Tony and Rhodes are both in Iron Man suits because Tony's going to have to go fight Obadiah Stane. And they have an argument. No, you should be Iron Man. Yeah, no, you I don't should be, be Iron Man. Man. I, I don't want to be Iron Man either. I don't deserve to be Iron Man, Adam. Uh, uh, Adam, you should be Iron Man. You know, Wes, you should be Iron Man. I deal with alcohol. It's... <laughs> I mean, again, they go back and forth, and at this point, Tony's built his brand new awesome badass suit, which is probably the one that a lot of you recognize. Uh, Mark Six, better known as the Silver Centurion. And it's it's pretty cool. I like this suit a lot. Uh, so they both decide to just team up to defeat the Ironmonger, who is Obadiah Stane. Because Obadiah Stane has built his own version of the Iron Man suit. Absolutely. Except he can't figure out the microtransistor thing. He can't figure out how to control. He doesn't have the experience or the athletic ability to control the suit. So he has built this computer in a different location to run the suit for him. Right. And uh, this is all leading up over, what, like 15 issues almost? Uh, it's, a, it's a bunch, yes. And Obadiah Stane has been messing with Tony from the get-go. Like, he's been doing all kinds of stuff, and basically Tony just finally says, hey, you know what, you're an evil dude, we're going to fight. I mean, there's that basically is just what happens. There's not a whole lot of other story here, and it leads to a pretty epic fight, because you've got Tony fighting him, o uh, Rhodes is taking care of his minions, and finally, it just boils down to Tony realizing, like what you said, that this suit, he's not controlling it. He's, he thinks to himself, like, it took me years to get this kind of reflex and dexterity in the suit. No way Obadiah did it overnight. So let me see if maybe he's got a computer controlling it. He blows up Obadiah's building, and lo and behold, they sink to the ground. And Obadiah Stane is defeated. He is on the ground, on his knees in front of Tony Stark. And he hearkens back to the days of his father. He puts a repulsor to his head, and Obadiah Stane pulls the repulsor trigger. Yeah, and I think he, right before he does it, he even tells Tony, someone will lose today, but it won't be me. And then we'll skip ahead a few more issues uh, and go into another series called The Armor Wars. And this one, I really enjoyed this line as a whole. It really helped build up Tony Stark as a character. And you get to understand what his impulses and his drives are as a person, as Tony Stark, rather than just Iron Man trying to defeat villains from day to day. The, uh, this line actually will lead up, almost like almost sit, plant the seeds for Civil War later with his fight with Captain America. Yeah, I think this is really the first time in the comic book history where they kind of duke it out. And not even that they're fighting, just a matter of they have opposite opinions. So it starts off with uh, basically uh, Force is a bad guy. And he, he's working for someone else, and he decides, I do not want to work for this bad person anymore. I'm going to turn myself in. And he goes to Tony and surrenders. And uh, Force has been muted. He can't talk. He can't fight. He can't really do anything because his suit has been overridden. Tony basically saves Force's life by deactivating the self-destruct button inside of Force's suit. Uh, Force... Uh, goes off and does his own thing, but Tony's looking over the suit and realizes that the components on the inside were Tony Stark's invention. Yeah, like it was his original blueprint almost that he based the most advanced version of the first Iron Man suit And there is nobody else in the entire world who has ever seen these blueprints besides Tony Stark. 
So the, he didn't sell them to somebody. So who did? How did this happen? Absolutely. We learn later it's Spymaster has come in and stolen the plans for Tony's suit and has sold them to almost everybody. So yeah. everybody has like these Iron Man suits and Iron Man components. Yeah, I think he sold them to Justin Hammer who helped develop all of these other suits. Like it's it's pretty in-depth craziness and it, it sets up some of my favorite issues, honestly. And uh, Tony is just he is pissed. Yeah. There is no other way to describe it. And he feels responsible for any person, anybody using his suit, killed. So he has. He feels like he has all of this blood on his hands. And he goes on a flipping rampage to collect all of these suits. And he doesn't care who it is. It could be anybody from a friend to a foe, and he's going to stop them from using that suit. Absolutely. And he even at first tries to go down a legal way. You know, he thinks to himself, like, all right, let's try and do this the right way. He hires uh, Ant-Man. Well, he doesn't really... It's not really legal, but it's close. It's better than, you know, just going out and attacking anybody willy-nilly. Right. But he hires Ant-Man to go and find out who has the suits. Yeah, and it's interesting because he didn't even know it was Ant-Man. He just hires Scott Lang, who he knows is really good at stealing things. He's a criminal, right? Right. So Scott Lang shrinks down. He goes in, and he steals some information from Justin Hammer's computer. And it, it turns out to be a list of names, basically, that the suits have been sold off to or designed for, or any of the suits that have his blueprint imparted onto them. So there's a bunch of issues in a row uh, going of Tony Stark going after these people on the list. Right, and during this entire time, he's got lawyers set up that they're trying to like legally pursue, basically suing Hammer and trying to get these suits taken back. But even the lawyers tell him, like, hey, we finally got something set up, but it's going to be five or six years from now before we can show up for hearings. So Tony says, you know what? Screw that. Let's do it the old-fashioned way. And Iron Man, not Tony Stark, but Iron Man will go after everybody on that list. So first of all, he winds up fighting someone called the Controller, who has a bunch of beach hippies in his control, because that's apparently his shtick. Uh, But he kills. He winds up being so pissed off at Controller, he just straight up kills him. Yeah, and he uses these really neat devices to kill them. Like, he has this device that he pops onto the suit, and it, like, melts the internals of the suit, so it just doesn't work anymore. Called the negator. The negator. So uh, he then negates the twin brothers that are named the Raiders. They had, like, these weird aquatic versions of his suit. Uh, then he goes after a government employee called Stingray, right. who's on an island by himself, and he goes after Stingray, uh, but when he drops the bo- the negator box on Stingray... It doesn't work. Right, and the only reason he went after Stingray is because he looked at this long list of people, and they told him, like, hey, just so you know, it looks like there was some weird corruption in the file, and there is a name that is missing. So he takes a weird database of all these different people that have suits and goes, well, it it just has to be Stingray. And it turned out not to be. So whoops. So now Iron Man has attacked. He is basically a traitor at this point as far as the American government is concerned. Like, he goes that far. It's, It's pretty crazy. Uh, then he takes down some people called the Mandroids. The Mandroids are actually owned by Obadiah Stane. He has created these as like either personal bodyguards or people to go out and attack. Uh, and Iron Man deals with them. And right after he deals with the Mandroids, uh, Steve Rogers actually shows up. At this point, I guess he's lost his Captain America title. He has. Uh, and he's asking Tony Stark for a brand new shield. He is not Captain America, so... Steve Rogers doesn't own a shield from the American government, so he goes to his good friend Tony Stark for a brand new shield. Shortly after he builds the shield for Steve Rogers, he hands it off to him. They do like a practice session, and he asks him to help him out and go and take over his suits from the guardsmen at the vault. And the guardsmen are basically these folks that are kind of like protecting bad guys in prison. 
Yeah, these guys are working for the American government. They are containing supervillains, keeping them away from the public. Uh, the guardsmen are good people, and Tony at Stark, least for the most part. And Iron Man doesn't care. No, he's going to go and take away these suits from the guardsmen. He shows up and he starts kicking ass and taking names. And Steve Rogers kind of realizes, like, whoa, this isn't exactly what I signed up for. And he doesn't care. Tony does not care at all. And he actually ends up decking Steve Rogers to like basically knock him out, so that way he can take and melt the guardsmen's outfits. The gator box on every single guardsman in the vault. Uh, Steve Rogers knocked out cold by Iron Man, causing one of the very first rifts. Uh, Tony Stark talks about how their friendship has now been completely ruined. Shortly afterwards, too, all of the PR people at Stark Industries are like, hey, Tony... This Iron Man guy, he's doing some pretty bad stuff. Like he's he's attacked Stingray, he he attacked the guardsmen. Like, like we're uh, kind of in a pickle here because he is also our representative. So you gotta do something about this, man. So Tony Stark fires Iron Man. That right, totally makes sense. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I'm going to fire my personal bodyguard and representative of my company. Because I need to save face. Uh and so he fires Iron Man, which you're firing yourself. Yeah. It, so surely I gotta tell you. It, the Avengers were as impressed by that move as we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are still a few more suits that he's got to take care of. So he ends up going to Russia where he fights off Red Dynamo and Titanium Man. Which I had never heard of, but apparently they're Russian superhero slash villains, depending on what side of the battle you're on. Sure. And, you know, to be fair, I had heard of Red Dynamo. I had not heard of Titanium Man, though. Probably for good reason. So he ends up accidentally killing one of them, which causes some more issues. Uh, <laughs> Justin Hammer ends up developing a suit named Firepower. He's got a uh, government contract to develop Firepower for... Uh, defense purposes right and you know in iron man 2 there's a scene at the very beginning where they're in court and justin hammer shows well it's not justin hammer tony stark shows a scene of like behind the scenes where justin hammer's testing a suit and i think that was supposed to be firepower i've read that online a few times uh but firepower is pretty bad i mean he's got nukes on him like this thing is the real deal it actually in one scene firepower kicks the crap out of iron man he iron man him. has no chance at this none not at all and of course, at this point, Iron Man gets the crap beat out of him. Nobody knows that Tony Stark is Iron Man, but Tony Stark is injured in that same fight. Very badly. And the only reason he gets out is because Rhodes is able to fly in with a helicopter and like a full suite of medical people and staff to get him fixed back up. Yeah, when Tony Stark decided to go after Firepower, he knew it would be bad. So he hired Rhodes to fly the helicopter and outfitted it with complete medical suites so that he had uh, blood bags and beds and everything in that helicopter, which crashed. Right. And Tony Stark is supposed to be in this helicopter during the fight. So luckily there's a little bit of a, a little bit of play between the two so that Tony Stark could be injured, even though he was injured as Iron Man. Exactly. They they were able to frame it up pretty nicely. They even make the mistake of like, it was just an airplane crash. It was just a helicopter crash, is yeah. it? Yeah. Did you really get hurt that bad? Which is, blows my mind. That's mind-boggling. Like, you're in a <laughs> helicopter crash. <laughs> but it's a comic book. It's fine. It's fine. So uh, Iron Man, at this point, is actually believed to be dead. So uh, Tony Stark is going to go back to work on a brand new suit in order to combat firepower. So with Tony Stark hurt, uh, he develops this brand new perfect suit to combat firepower. And even when he creates this suit, he looks at it and goes, 
This work is great, but it must be destroyed. It is too powerful. The arms race is just too dangerous to allow this suit to remain in existence. And he ends up being able to draw firepower out, and they duke it out one more time. Yeah, uh, Tony Stark basically buys a factory that allows uh, Hammer to have a reason to send firepower. It's basically an ambush of Iron Man attacking uh, attacking firepower. Yeah, the firepower didn't even stand a chance. It was it was a it was a one way battle. Tony Stark is so good at the arms race. It's why Shield wanted Stark Industries. It's why. Stark Industries in the beginning was so powerful is Tony Stark is a genius at always improving, at always finding the next step to make something better. So he, this brand new suit, whatever firepower showed off in the first fight, Tony Stark has figured out a way to deal with it. And he's able to double it. I mean, he just, there's no competition here. Yep. And then, uh, so Iron Man is still in the outs with the public eye at this point. Tony Stark goes back to being Tony Stark, but they have to figure out a way to get Iron Man back, Iron Man back into the good graces. And over time, the PR finally cools down and Iron Man is hired back into Stark Industries to be the personal bodyguard of Tony Stark. Once again. And now we're going to cover one of Adam's favorite villains, the Mandarin. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about the Mandarin. In fact, my favorite Mandarin storyline is Dragon Seed, which was written by John Byrne, who wrote my favorite Superman storyline as well, if you guys remember from the Superman episode. I love how comic book writers kind of jump back and forth, and uh, if you like him like a writer in one style, then you'll probably like him in another story. There's something about the way comic book writers are able to tell a really nice, really good story and it doesn't matter who they write for or what story they're writing, it's going to be or a good Or what character one. they're writing. I mean, look at uh, like Jeff Lemire or Bendis. And it doesn't matter who those guys write. Alan Moore, I'll read anything that guy writes. So, yeah, John Byrne, kudos to you, man. I, I absolutely love your work if you ever listen to this. <laughs> so let's Shameless talk point. about Dragon Seed. And, uh, and it, so Mandarin doesn't really change... His backstory. At all. Not changed it at all. They introduced Mandarin like way back in the beginning. like ep- Tales of Suspense, like 55, I think. Early, early. It was early. Yeah, he was one of the first real big bads for Iron Man. And they don't really bother changing his line. They might tweak a few details. Right. But basically, the Mandarin is uh, a man that found a cave. And inside this cave were a bunch of dragon bones and a spaceship. And inside this spaceship, he found what was powering, or what he assumes powered it, which are the Ten Rings, the Ten Power Rings. Uh, This is what gives Mandarin his powers. Other than that, he's just a pretty normal guy. Well, he's also a bit of a mystic, so he has some control over magical forces. He's really smart, too, but I I think for the most part, his powers come from the rings. Uh, He's kind of like Doctor Doom in a way. He, He is able to combine technology with the mysticism and create a very powerful supervillain. And we find out that the rings were actually used to control the spaceship. And the spaceship contained a bunch of dragon people who had basically crashed their ship on Earth and over time developed into human beings. They were able to kind of hide themselves among us. Mandarin has a new mentor named Chen Hu, who we find out is basically the leader of the dragon people. Uh, But Chen Hu's been monitoring the Mandarin for the past probably decade or so is what we kind of think from the comics. Maybe even longer than that. Uh, He's kind of been teaching him to sort of hate the world a little bit and and kind of revolt against the modern day uh, of everything. And he's really teaching him how to use these rings that he's obtained, but doesn't tell them how he's connected to the rings. One of the weakest supervillains are the ones who want to destroy the world just to destroy the world. Right. And with the introduction of Chen Hu, uh, he becomes 
less of just, I want to see the world burn, to now he has a reason. Absolutely. And it's interesting because Chen Hu even tells him, like, hey, you've got these rings of power, but even you are only able to use maybe 10% of them at most. Like, your human brain cannot comprehend what this powerful rings can do. In issues leading up to the Dragon Seed line, Tony's nervous system is basically breaking down. And a doctor has installed a chip into his system in order to take back over and allow his nervous system to regenerate itself. Yeah, doesn't he have like a nanotech skin well, suit? that chip breaks down. is basically taking over his entire body. Ah. So in order to even be able to use his arms, his hands, his feet, anything, he is an invalid at this point. He's a quadriplegic. He can't move anything. Uh, but he creates, of course, a nano, nano suit that you're talking about that allows him to control. It's basically like an Iron Man suit, but really super thin, and it just lets him walk effectively. So he doesn't have any of the cool pulsar beams or anything like that. It's just allowing him to function. Be a normal human. So he has gone to China to talk to another doctor in the hopes of reversing this condition. Right. He really wants to see if this doctor can basically evaluate his nervous system and make it whole again and try and fix it. Now, on the other side of the coin, the Chinese government realizes that he's coming to China to speak with this famous doctor and they say, okay, well, you know, we don't really want payment from you or anything. We know you have lots and lots of money, uh, but we don't want any of that. We just want your bodyguard to take out the Mandarin for us. Doesn't even say that it's the Mandarin at right. this point. They, they just, just want, want to borrow the bodyguard. Right. And, of course, Rhodes is telling him, like, hey, you can't do this. Because Tony says, okay, yeah, sure. And he, he wants Rhodes to give up the suit. He's going to put on the suit and go fight this villain for them. Rhodes knocks him out. I mean, this guy can barely stand without a suit on. And the Chinese government has actually told this doctor, whatever you have to do, tell Tony he can survive and you can help him so that Iron Man will do the thing that we need him to do. Right. And of course, the doctor is a very beautiful female. So Tony is starting to fall in love with her after what, like three hours? Uh, 14 minutes. Right. He sees her and is like, okay, I'm in love. Uh, this is the girl of my dreams. So he's not only trying to be healed by her, but he's also trying to... Make it in the bed with her. Uh, and he's not even kosher about it. Like, he just straight up tells her, like, hey, baby, let's take you to dinner. And <laughs> she's, she's like, oh, no, I can't. Well, and she doesn't want to, but she kind of has to because the government needs her to do her job, right? And the Keep government's Tony listening happy. the whole time and they're Absolutely. bugged everything. So they actually send a car to her house for the 9 p.m. date with Tony Stark. Right. Then we find out that she is actually married and has a husband. and Who is also an invalid. Right. So she is very familiar with possibly what's going on with Tony. Well, Rhodes has knocked him out. He's passed out on the bed when he's supposed to be fighting... Fing Fang Foom. That is such a cool name. It is. It's awesome. Uh, <laughs> the triple F, the Fin Fang Foom. I love the way that they transitioned it in the comics, too, because basically Tony gets knocked out. Uh, Rhodes goes to the government. The government says, okay, go fight this villain. The opening panel is Rhodes getting his ass handed to him by this giant green dragon. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and I think the big word bubble just says, what was I thinking? Yeah. yeah. Because <laughs> when he finds out who he's supposed to be fighting, Rhodes is like, oh, no. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. And so from afar, You've got the Mandarin and Chin Hu watching and trying to make sure that Iron Man gets destroyed. Now, it's interesting because the Mandarin even tells Chin Hu, like, I don't think that's Iron Man. It doesn't look right. He's not fighting the way Iron Man usually right. fights. Chin, uh, uh, Mandarin respects Iron Man as much as he hates him. And it's funny to me, too, because Tony wakes up and doesn't think twice about what's going on with Iron Man and Rhodes. He's just like, well, he's probably doing stuff. 
Well, he, that darn Rhodes, right. he's such a good friend. I hate him. Well, and his buddy Rhodes is getting absolutely wrecked by Fing Fang Foom. Destroyed. Uh, and it, it turns out that Tony hears, overhears this. There are some secret uh, footage that I guess is found from like a helicopter that the government shows Tony. Like, hey, uh, we don't know really what's going on with your bodyguard, but here's some footage we found of him getting stomped by a giant <laughs> green dragon. So you might want to like check it out. So he summons a suit with his fancy computer that he now has, of course. I love this whole whole thing about being able to control it from a satellite and controlling it from his brain and this millisecond of lag that he has to deal with in this. Uh, There's thousands of computer gamers that would love to have only a millisecond of lag right. playing their video games. And this, and he's complaining about it. Like, it's just not as good. Yeah, so him and Rhodes are fighting Fing Fang Foom. He has this bad delay, and things are getting nasty. This dragon is like, it's laying tail to ass. He's the shit. Yeah. Uh, Fing Fang Foom is awesome, the triple F. And so Tony just ditches Rhodes, and even Rhodes is like under Fing Fang Foom's foot, and he goes... <laughs> Whoa, bro, where are you going, dude? Like, don't just leave me here. So the suit flies away. Rhodes is pretty sure he's doomed. And this is when Tony suits up. He He's sick of the lag, uh, so he's going to put on his 10-gig suit and fly out and actually help. Uh, he gets stopped by the doctor who tells him, like, hey, you probably shouldn't do this, but he's like, whatever, I'm kind of done with you since I found out you had a husband. Yeah, you, you're married, so you're, you're married. no good to me. You're no good to me anymore. So <laughs> he flies away uh, and helps out Rhodes, and at this point, Chin Hu has summoned all of the other dragons. Yeah, it's like a gathering of the dragons. They are supposed to be taking this world back. They want the rings back. They want their spaceship back. They want this world to bend the knee to the dragon. There's what, 14, 15 different huge giant fin fang fooms. Yeah, and like, they're they're all just old space comrades, basically. And Fing Fang Foom was like the baby of them all. That's just, just to tell you how powerful these things are. It was about to be really bad for the world that uh, Iron Man lives in. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, it's great because Tony's able to kind of defeat them with the Mandarin's help. The Mandarin sees that the new Tony has flown in, and he goes, that's the real Iron Man. Right, he, he's able to tell the difference. And Mandarin is attached to these rings, and I think Chen Hu wants the rings back. Right, he does. He, and Chen says something about, uh, you've only been, unable, only been able to unlock 10% of the power. You don't have the power to unlock the true rings. And this is when the Mandarin kind of says, you know what? Like, I'm done with you, dude. Like, you, you've basically betrayed me. And so he starts fighting back as well. So you've got Mandarin, Rhodes, Iron Man fighting off Chen Hu and 14 or 15 other dragons. There is a couple issues here where Iron Man's able to outwit some of the dragons and defeat them. But ultimately, it comes down to the Mandarin and Tony. And they're about to face off with Chen Hu. And they're kind of going, like, flying at each other. And Chen Hu's like this huge dragon. Massive dragon. You can only imagine how powerful he is as the leader of the dragons. Absolutely. And, And... I guess Iron Man supercharges the Mandarin's rings and fig- causes like a nuke. He figures out what uh, what Chin Yu was talking about with uh, unlocking only ten percent of the power. You don't have the power, so Tony like powers it with the repulsors and the suit. Right, and I, they're not really clear on what happens, but they make it sound like a nuke goes off. It was a really sexy moment where Iron Man puts his hands 
on oh, Mandarin's yeah. hands from behind Mandarin, and they hold hands on one on top of the other for half a second. Yeah. And then Iron Man charges those rings, and yeah, like you said, it's a nuke that yeah. goes off. And I think we see like a couple panels go by, and it does look like it's just a nuke, like just white panels and blank pages. And then it shows Tony holding on to like some canyon, and Rhodes flies in, and it even says that the nuclear winds had been blowing for something like 16 hours. Tony was about to give up. Rhodes flies in and saves him. Pulls his ass out of there, and I guess they go back to the hotel and like shower and go back home. And uh, it's a really sweet moment where Iron Man realizes what's up with uh, the doctor lady, and he and Tony Stark knows that he's broken because he goes to talk to the husband, who says something like, "No, no, you should take her away from me." The husband wants Tony Stark to take the wife away because she doesn't deserve to be with a broken man. And Tony goes back and has a very introspective moment of, no, she doesn't deserve to be with a broken man. And he leaves China. It ends the, the probably one of my favorite panels in this entire reading that we've done. It ends with this little girl coming back to kind of a small little hut, uh, maybe out in the country land to help her grandmother with some sort of human that's been injured. And you see the Mandarin sitting there on this little cot with bandaged up hands, or no hands at all. It sounds like Iron Man blew his hands off, but there he's alive. so much power going through there. How Mandarin survived it all is amazing. He's alive. And, you know, I have a really interesting point that I cannot bring up with you because you've not seen Iron Man 3 yet. Next issue. Next, Next issue. Episode. But I have something about the Mandarin I want to talk about, and I can't wait for you all to hear it because it's a big in-game thing, so <laughs> we'll I can't wait. It. We'll talk about next it next week, episode. Next week, next week. Uh, so we are now going to... St- well, before we get into uh, the Camelot trilogy, let's talk about Tony's high-tech suits. Uh, this is about the time period where he starts specializing his suits. Rather than trying to make one suit that does everything, he decides to make a suit that can go underwater, or a suit that can uh, uh, fly out in space, or a suit that can just walk around and be a normal suit. Do you have a... Out of the list of suits that we've read about, do you have a favorite? Absolutely. The Hulkbuster. <laughs> Uh, it's so incredible. I mean, d- that was such a ridiculous issue. It was. too. The whole thing with the Hulkbuster is absolutely cheesy, but I love the idea of him having to think like, okay, I've got this super powerful suit. I'm already really strong in it. There is a creature out there that is literally unstoppable from an engineering standpoint. How did he sit behind a drawing board and think about what he would create to counteract this? Uh, that- I, it just blows my mind. So he built the Hulkbuster. Which he didn't even need, because the Hulk didn't really want to fight. Which is maybe the first and only time the Hulk didn't want to fight. It was one issue, and uh, the Hulk is actually intelligent when he's in Hulk form. And he's like, dude, I just I just wanted you to destroy the factory. Yeah, like, and he's like, shut and down Tony, your shit, dude. And Tony's like, oh, well, I wanted to destroy the factory. Yeah, I thought you were here to do something else, so no. I built this suit to beat you up. Your mother's name is Martha? My mother's <laughs> name is Martha. <laughs> So let's visit one of my favorite villains, Victor Von Doom, better known as Dr. Doom. There was this really neat trilogy that Marvel did with uh, Victor Von Doom wanting to do some time traveling and Iron Man going along for a ride. Uh, The first one, they go back in time. The second one, they go forward in time. And then the third one, they stay in present time. All of it has to do with Arthur and the Round Table and Merlin and Morgana Le Fay. It's the Camelot trilogy. It's freaking fantastic, by the way. Like It's so silly, and it's definitely out of time of everything else that's happening 
around Iron Man. Yeah. I mean, it, it, they kind of tie it in a little bit, but not a whole lot. They don't I, have to. And the cool thing is, is they do it at issue 149 and 150 and issue 249 and 250, and then they do it again in 2008 to wrap it all up. Right. And it's really neat that they were able to kind of put a little bow on it the way that they did. Beautiful thing. So it starts off with uh, issue number 149, and it's definitely like a side quest. Doctor Doom is trying to buy electronics from Stark Industries. You had mentioned it earlier. Right. Latveria is on the no-sell list for Stark Industries, so Tony finds out about it. He goes out and makes the ship basically turn around. In Iron Man. As Iron Man, right. Iron Man like flies down the ship. He's like, hey, Tony said turn the ship around, go back to port, you'll be safe there. Because they got attacked by pirates or something. And he saves them from the pirates. But then he sends the ship back to port. And then you see Tony Stark in the boardroom with a bunch of his uh, uh, regional salesmen. Oh, yeah. And he fires the dude that sold him to the no-sell list. Yeah, and the guy's like, but Tony, I just made you hey, lots of money. Fucking load of money. And he goes, yeah, I don't care. That's on the no-sell list, you doofus. You and don't do that. Him. And he's gone. He's. I'm sure he got a great severance pay. Package. I doubt it. I don't think. He, I don't think he would have. He kind of would. I mean, Tony Man showed guy. up later and like beat him over the head with an alcohol bottle. <laughs> it stole the stole the, uh, the the severance package back. Uh, so it, it, I like that showing how Tony deals with the rest of the world. It's kind of really it's a little, a little bit of a fun moment. Uh, you also find out uh, Doctor Doom was the one who bought those electronics. And he is pissed when he doesn't get his electronics. He's like, I need them, and he's for some reason Doctor Doom has to travel back in time to find Morgana Le Fay so he can do something with his mother. I'm, I guarantee you, when we do the Doctor Doom episode, we'll find out why this storyline happens at all. Yes, we absolutely will. But uh, he goes—he wants to go back in time, and he needed the electronics to boost up because he's only been able to go back so far. Uh, so far, yeah. So he has to boost up enough to be able to go back far enough in time. So the 11th century or whenever to meet Morgana Le Fay and learn a spell. Right. And so it goes back and forth, back and forth, and finally uh, Iron Man finds out that it's Doctor Doom that bought the electronics. Iron Man goes to fight Doom, and Doom and him fight, but Doom has this scientist that he basically has his thumb on. Scientist is not happy. While Iron Man and Doctor Doom are fighting, the scientist takes an opportunity to basically hit the button, send them back in time, and then takes a wrench through the just, whole just machine destroys and just it. destroys everything, and then leaves. Yep. And then Iron Man and Doctor Doom wake up in 6th century Camelot. Knights on horses. Yeah, and at first they kind of, I don't want to say they team up with each other, but they go to King Arthur together at least. Like, they, they don't fight it out in the middle of 6th century. They both go, well, we're here. Yeah, and it's funny because King Arthur is like, well, since you're guests, we'll put you up with women in our hotel. and As you do. Uh, the only way to treat a Camelot guest. And so Iron Man, of course, sleeps with his new friend and... Doctor Doom is like, well, I don't have no interest in you, but tell me about Morgana Le Fay. And they do, and she does. And uh, in yeah. fact, doesn't uh, Doctor Doom like paralyze this woman in order I, to get her to tell him yeah, what he needs to know? He and then she's does. ruined, like her brain's muddled, mush, at this point. like all kinds of mush. Yeah. yeah. So he goes after Morgana Le Fay and teams up with her, and it turns out she has been put in a prison. Basically, she's trapped in her castle. Morgana, yeah, Morgana, you're talking about, right? Morgana Le Fay, of course, not the mush girl. <laughs> I was confused for half a second. I was like, I'm why do they bad put with pronouns? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Morgana in a uh, is is in a in a castle, thing, trapped, not that far away, it's like a day's ride by horse. Basically, King Arthur wants to, I guess he's just like trying to find out what's going on between the two. He thinks maybe they're both evil or maybe neither one of is evil. He calls them knights, just trying to figure out what exactly is going on and Doom pieces out. Right. He brings in Iron Man and he's like, hey, so your chick's totally normal. 
but Doctor Doom's is not. Like he made her mushy brained. Like what's going on? What's going on here? So that's when Iron Man is like, oh crap, we we're dealing with Doom. Yep. So he's evil. Sorry, bud. Uh, and that's when we find out that Morgana Le Fay and Doctor Doom have teamed up, and they are sicking a like army of undead on Camelot. It is such a classic D and D moment: uh, the undead horde attacking the castle containing King Arthur and uh, Iron Man. Now, of course, Iron Man is like, "Go, Team King Arthur! Uh, sure. Let's honorable go fight them." So th- he leads King Arthur's army out onto the battlefield, and at first he realizes, "Like we're we're not going to win. This is because yeah, they're you, undead. You cut the undead horde down; they just get right back up and keep fighting. If when your guys lose, they come back up and start fighting for the bad guy side." And he sees Dr. Doom flying into the field and thinks, okay, I could fight Dr. Doom here, but something is up. Something's going on here. So he flies off to find where the undead horde's coming from, finds Morgana Le Fay, and ends up trapping her and just kind of being like, hey, like I've got you caught red-handed. And so she nopes out of there and disappears into another dimension. Carrying the sliver of Excalibur. Right. And apparently that's what Dr. Doom needed the whole time. So when she disappears, the undead horde just disappears they, I mean, drop, they drop, drop into sand is, once the spell caster is gone as it happens in D, once you knock out the spell caster the spell stops right so iron man and dr doom are stuck in uh, camelot and they decide well lefay's gone the war is over what are we gonna do here i love how uh project driven how goal oriented dr doom is he uh, he would kill Iron Man if Iron Man was standing between Doctor Doom and what he wanted. Absolutely. But if Iron Man's not in the way and Doctor Doom needs to get back to modern day time, he's more than willing to team up with that guy. Yeah. He, he doesn't. He's not. He doesn't hate Iron Man. No. He just I, hates that he's always in the way. And that's the thing about Doctor Doom is like I don't even know that I would consider him a villain as much as he's more just kind of a separate entity. Like he's almost like an anti-hero, which makes him a perfect villain. I love him. Yeah, he's really really fun. So what do they do? They team up with each other and they like combine electronics. Doctor Doom's like, hey, I need that transistor out of your arm and this pulsar out of your left foot. And he combines the two and he sends them back to modern. Where time. do you think they put the slide rule? How did that figure in? Uh, that was in the back of uh, Iron Man's head, and uh-huh. that is. How Iron Man or how Doctor Doom figured out what angle of entry he needed to get back to modern day 20th century. It makes sense. It's like having to go 80 miles per hour. 88, but yes. <laughs> I, yes. <laughs> so they're back uh, and they wind up on a cliffside. Both of their armors are ruined. They can't fight at this point. But Tony's armor is not ruined enough that he that Doctor Doom knows who he is. He's still kind of covered up. So his secret identity is still safe. Uh, so they shake hands, walk. I love the last panel of the two of them walking away on the mountainside. Opposite sides. Away from each other to continue on with the storyline as written in episode, or in issue number 148. I love this scene, too, of them like going their separate ways across the mountain and the whole time Doom muttering under his mouth, like, shut up, bitch, And then he turns around and he's like, I'm going to get revenge. Like, he's really, I feel like he's probably really pride hurt. Iron Man gives him the thumbs up, which really pisses Doom off. Whatever. (laughs) So we're going to skip ahead 100 issues. 249. 249. Basically, the same thing happens, but different. Uh, There's this artifact that shows up. Uh, and Dr. Doom gets one side, Iron Man gets another side, and uh, Iron Man, fe- or sorry, Dr. Doom feels like uh, if he's able to combine these two artifacts together, he'll be the most powerful person in the world. So, of course, he goes after the one Iron Man has. Of course, and he knows Iron Man has it because it showed up in front of the mall that Iron Man was opening. <laughs> that was such a really fun scene it where was. Iron Man gets it. Like, uh, he's opening up a new movie theater, 
So a, I think it's just a mall. A mall, something. Yeah. So this styrofoam meteor starts falling out of the sky. Iron Man shows up to save the crowd. The meteor bursts apart. Then he sends the repul- the Unibeam to heat up all the popcorn kernels. It, yeah, it's like that po- just the, fall on everybody. Right. The meteor was popcorn kernels or something. Yeah. <laughs> and then out of nowhere, this device pops into existence, and everyone's like, "Oh man, frontline seats! I'm going to watch this event." And yeah. Iron Man is like, "No, whoa, 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 you need to go. Go get out of here. No, no, this is really cool PR. Right? Yeah, this is a great." Event. Even, yeah. even the mall manager person who's uh, opening the mall is like, dude, we were supposed to talk about any program changes. I actually really like Doom's entrance better, though, because Doom is being like entertained by all of these butlers oh, yeah. and people. Some and, sort of a concert. Right. And they're asking him, like, so are you enjoying it? And he's about to do the thumbs Caesar, down. like, thumbs up, yeah. thumbs down. And as he's turning down, this thing pops up. And he goes, well, now I'm entertained. <laughs> and all the <laughs> musicians are getting together and running out. And they're like, Tonight, this afternoon, we're going to practice really hard as yeah. they're running out with yeah. the cellos. So he shows up to Tony's house and tells him, hey, I know you've got this other piece. you got 24 hours to give it to me or I'm bringing my army. And I was confused at first because, like, how does Doom know to go to Tony Stark's house? I'm like, oh, bodyguard. Absolutely. I was I was worried there for a second that maybe Doom figured out who Iron Man really is. But no, no, I, we're good. The fact that no one figured that out. Even Doom, as smart as, as he smart is. As smart as he is because Doom does this thing that I love where he constantly calls Iron Man the, the lackey. And like he's like, well, if your master was here, he would outthink you. And the whole time, like, and what also cracks me up about that, Tony seems so prideful. I can't imagine that he would let someone insult him as Iron Man. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So it cracks uh, just, me up. I love it. <laughs> lackey this, lackey that. Now. Right. And inside the Iron Man suit, Tony Stark is just fuming like with red rage. Like you can see Robert <laughs> Downey Jr.'s face just turning beat red. Absolutely. In anger. Absolutely. Uh, so the, Doom has both sides of the artifact. Uh, Iron Man is going after Doom in order to. Uh, stop it and as Iron Man gets closer this black light emerges from the artifact Right. and Doom's like wait as Iron Man gets closer this light's getting bigger and I can't figure out what's going on Iron Man go away before it gets too much and Iron Man bursts through the wall the black light envelops both of them completely and then they disappear from the present day. And then they pop into existence, what, almost 200 years later? 1993, so about it's 100 years later. Crazy. Uh, I can't imagine just being popped 100 years into the future. Boom, right there. And for and I ha- we haven't read all... We haven't read every single issue, but Tony Stark apparently has seen this city in 2093 in his dreams, so he kind of knows what's going on. Right, so they pop into the future, and Merlin shows up to kind of take them in. Uh, they've dealt with Merlin before, right? Was yeah, he in the well, he uh, he wasn't in uh, the first one. I think maybe just an image, or they talked about Merlin about how Merlin was asleep uh, until he, the until England has its greatest need, and then Merlin will appear. And Merlin in this future series is kind of like a cool daddy o figure. Oh, you described him as finger guns guy. Yeah, he's in this like really interesting suit, uh, like futuristic looking suit. And he's like, hey guys, hey fellas. Like this I- is more comfortable for me here. And he's in this uh, sparkly suit. And right. He's like, don't you guys want to get comfortable too? And Tony's like, nah, no, I'll stay in my Iron Man suit. I don't want anybody to know who yeah. I really am. So. And it turns out that uh, he needs help because King Arthur is back. But King Arthur is a kid because his parents are hippies, according to Merlin, and decided to freeze the embryo until they were ready to afford a baby. God forbid. There's uh, some sort of prophecy about when England is in its greatest need, uh, King Arthur will be born to parents, and 17 years later, Merlin will be woken up. And so Merlin will be able to help lead this 17-year-old King Arthur uh, into saving England. And then Merlin pops up, opens his eyes, and he's like, ah, 
crap. Right. A <laughs> nine-year-old? Really? What is going on? I will murder his parents. And he casts like a spell. He freezes a sleeping, them in time? A sleeping spell on the uh, King Arthur's yeah, parents. And he I'm- is so angry. Merlin is such a dweeb in this, but I love it. <laughs> like, it seems very Merlin-y. Uh, and so we've got... We've got this new King Arthur kid that asks Doom and Iron Man to team up and basically take out some villains. And the villains turn out to be themselves in the future. Right, there's some uh, neutron ray that's being shot at Earth in order to kill off everybody on Earth. So yes, England is in its greatest need. The Earth is about to be destroyed. Destroyed by who? There's Andros in a futuristic Iron Man suit on a space station shooting the neutron rays at Earth. And Iron Man is there. So he basically winds up fighting... Uh, a descendant, Andrew Stark, who is his like great 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 grandson. I think it's probably great great, probably yes. great great. Yeah, but I love the Iron Man suit that Andros is in because it's literally Tony Stark's Iron Man suit, but with like jagged teeth marks. And totally awesome too. It's I mean, more agile, more strong, more powerful though. than everything. Yeah, I mean, well, it's got it's, this like glow around it as well. Yeah, but I mean, they just gave him shark teeth and said he was evil. I love it. It's it great. Works, right. So they end up fighting, and it turns out that Andros is actually working with Victor Von Doom, who has kept himself alive using technology and spells all over the years. And I keep I love this series because throughout the entire thing, Iron Man constantly just says, God, I hate magic. Like, I hate <laughs> <Yeah>. magic. <laughs> and why would you not hate magic if you're such a technology-based person? True. But there is no person left in Victor Von Doom. It's all, they talk about the, like, the machines clacking and the valves oh, yeah. opening and closing. And, and they the draw him like that, too. It's, it's really cool because, like, all of his, his ligaments are completely machinery. I think the only thing left, really, is his brain. So eventually they have to fight. Tony is able to outsmart Andros, even though the uh, Andros' suit is way better. Uh, Doom is put in a position to fight. Well, present Doom is put in a position to fight future Doom. And he's just pissed because he exists. He's like, that is so unnatural. You are an abomination. Yeah, and that's what he says. And that really shocked me. I can't believe that Doom would kill himself, basically. I was kind of, and uh, right before present Doom destroys future Doom, future Doom says something, I did the same thing years ago. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. Like, there's some weird time loop stuff happening here, I think. I love time travel because it's so confusing. It is. And so they win, and then the, as soon as they destroy the two and the threat to Earth has been removed, uh, Merlin's like, hey, I'll send you back in time. Yeah. See ya, daddy-o's. <laughs> and, and they do. They do, and right as they're about to disappear, uh, right as they're about to disappear, Doom looks at Iron Man and says, well, while we were here, I decided to read up on the archives. I know you're Tony Stark. And then they pop back in the past, and their brains have been wiped. So They remember nothing. They basically nothing. disappeared in one instant. Five instants later, they're right back. Right back, and they have no idea that anything's happened. And that's the end. And that's the end. And then I guess it just went back into the normal storyline of Iron Man. Right back into whatever's happening in issue number 248. Oh, that's crazy. And then we get... To one of my favorites, which is the legacy of Doom. By this time, Iron Man as a series has ended. Yeah. Uh, There is no more single run line of Iron Man. It's 2008. Uh, The movie might have been released or right around the same time. I think it was six months after Legacy of Doom. Was the movie? Was the movie. That actually makes a lot of sense because I have a feeling that when they wrote Legacy of Doom, they had no idea how much Iron Man was just going to explode. I don't think they did either. There's no way. Absolutely no way they had any idea that that was going to happen. But David Michelini decides to go back and tie up this uh, storyline of Doctor Doom with uh, Iron Man. 
And I love this series. Legacy of Doom is awesome. It's a really great read. It's uh, four issues, so if you get a chance to pick them up, definitely recommend reading these. But we're going to go over things and spoil it for you anyway. Uh, so basically, Iron Man finds uh, a black box uh, of yeah. one of his old suits. Yeah, he's he's kind of destroying a bunch of the old ones. Like, well, I've got the extremist suit now. I don't really need any of the other suits. Like, it kind of handles everything for me. And he's worried about his technology being stolen again. So he's melting them down. But when he does, he pulls out the little SD card, and he's backing up all of the video surveillance. That's basically. a great, uh, great way to imagine what he's doing. He he pulls that it's out. It's basically he's, like a cop's live feed camera. Exactly. So he's going through them all, and he's like, "Wait a minute, this one's from a time period when I was on vacation." Yeah, like Why because do- Tony Stark takes vacations. Who stole my suit? Yes, and so he he decides to play it back. And he sees himself, and it's kind of neat because the next three issues are what he saw, basically. So he sees himself up in space. He's, like, working on one of the uh, satellites that he's got up there. And Doom disappears. So his first reaction is, well, i got to blow his brains out. So he turns around <laughs> and starts shooting at him. And it it's turns Dr. Out Doom it, must attack! Yeah, it's a, just a projection, right? So this <laughs> Dr. Pro- Doom's like, you really think I'm that dumb? Right. Yeah, so uh, projection Dr. Doom says, okay, Tony, I need you to come to Latveria because millions of lives are at stake. So Tony shows up. Like, no questions asked. I was really surprised about that. Yeah, he says millions of lives need to be saved. I'm there. Right. So he shows up. He kind of has to fight through a Latverian civil war that Doom has started. And he shows up, and Doom is like, I ah, don't worry about that. We got bigger <laughs> things to attend to. People are going to die. <laughs> I love his nonchalance. Doom's nonchalance about that. It's, it was a very funny moment. And like, he's got so much better things to do at the moment. So he ends up tricking uh, Iron Man into going into another realm that is hell. And he takes them through a manager door in hell, and lo and behold... literally labeled manager of hell. (laughs) Manager of hell. And lo and behold, who's sitting there but Mephisto? Who else would it be? Well, Satan. Same thing. Is Mephisto. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Mephisto tells him, like, okay, you've upheld your part of the bargain, and thank you very much. Bing, bang, wham. Thank you, ma'am. Here's your Excalibur shard. And Doom goes, okay, cool, thanks, and nopes out. Uh, it was is a really cool callback to the 149-150 of the Camelot trilogy. How did uh, Mephisto come in control of the shard of Excalibur? But Morgana Le Fay has found her way to this realm and is basically sitting at the right hand of Mephisto at this point. So Doom has basically given Iron Man over to Mephisto in a one-on-one trade for a sliver of Excalibur and Morgana Le Fay. Yeah, so Morgana hangs out with Doom. Basically, Morgana has traded the sliver to Mephisto for her protection within the realm of hell. She goes with Dr. Doom with the sliver to modern day time. And Doom is able to infuse his Doom suit with the sliver, which makes him really super powerful. Using a spell that Morgana, I guess, came up with. She helps him out. In issues 149 and 150, they had a deal together that she did not uphold. And he finds her, tracks her down, and she helps him out, puts the thing in. And then uh, he's like, yeah, sure, I'll uh, send you back, no problem. And he instead sends Morgana to her castle prison in Camelot. And she no longer has the sliver of Excalibur, so she can't get out. And she is pissed. And he says something like, yeah, thanks for helping me, but no one betrays Dr. Doom. In the meantime, we've got Iron Man in hell facing his dad. Yeah, he's got a... in like a big, weird Satan Iron Man suit. <laughs> he has to fight Demon Daddy. Yeah. It was... Not a BDSM thing, but he has to fight Demon B- Daddy. It was really... <laughs> it was odd. I think this is the first time in at least our readings where we saw him have issues, like daddy issues. Right. Uh, so, yeah, he ends up being able to defeat him, though, and he gets out of hell. 
he beats uh, the demon down. He gets out, and he uh, he is then a version of Merlin shows up, right? Because at this point, he's not awake yet. He doesn't get woken up until twenty ninety three. Exactly. So it's like this projection of of himself, and he's telling Iron Man, like, yeah, technically I'm still asleep, uh, but I need your help. You're you're gonna have to go get the scabbard of Excalibur and power yourself up to help save the world. So you need to go to Scotland and find it. So he goes to Scotland, and at first he's kind of confused, like, well, nothing's really going on, because he goes to the Standing Stones. Right. Uh, he's sent to the Standing Stones of Scotland, which are, uh, l- I think in the issue, they call them the lesser version of Stonehenge. Right. And at first he's kind of like, well, there's a bunch of tourists here, but I don't really know what Merlin wants me to do. And then Doom shows up, and he goes, okay, I must be in the right spot. So they land, and they're trying to get the scabbard out of the ground, or they're at least talking trying about it. Trying to figure out what's going on. Right. And then they set off, uh, effectively, they set off a trap yeah, or trigger like, whatever it is that needs to happen in order to find the scabbard. Right. And these arches burst out of the ground. So it kind of looks like the real Stonehenge. At this point, it looks like Stonehenge, but a lot tighter all the way around because they're trapped inside and they can't do anything. And there's these reflections all the way around. They trigger one and they have to fight all these stone golems that pop out. And there's like a bunch of them too. They're almost overwhelmed. And Doom is in this really awesome suit with the sliver of Excalibur, but it's still not really doing much for him. It's kind of like in uh, Super Smash Brothers whenever you change the color of the suits. It's like Doom's normal suit, but like black and it's really cool. That's right. It was that color yeah it's really awesome and so, finally tony stark is brilliant because tony stark is brilliant he realizes one of the reflections is not actually a reflection it's just a duplicate so he reaches inside this pink portal and pulls out none other than the scabbard of excalibur and it turns his suit into this really cool like night so suit he smash brothers it up and yeah. gets a new suit right there immediately it's so cool i really love the artwork for this series it was awesome and then, uh, so they're kind of trying to figure out what's going to happen. They were told that uh, the, all right, let's see if I can get this right. The sword makes you invincible, but the scabbard will make you invulnerable. And the two together will make you invincible something. Something. Yeah, and so we, we actually looked it up, and I guess invincible means you can't be beaten. Invulnerable means you can't be harmed. So with the two together, you can't be beaten or harmed. Making you invincible vulnerable. Now, of course, Doom is all pissed off because he wanted the scabbard to save the world, which he hasn't really explained quite yet what he's saving all these millions of people from. Oh, but we find out. Yeah, the The very last panel, uh, Iron Man is like, what are you talking about? And they look up in the sky, and there's a giant crack in the sky with an eye poking through. That's got to be the creepiest thing to look up, and the sky is looking back. Yeah, that has got to be pretty freaking weird. So very next issue, issue four, which is leading us into the end of all of this. So so you get this really cool thing of an eye looking down at the sky at Doom and Iron Man. I'm like, this is going to be a really badass monster. Right. This thing is going to be huge. It's going to be Godzilla-like. It's going to be leathery and reptilian at least. Something, yeah. Like, like It's going to be some sort yeah. of badass monster. Yeah. And what are we introduced to in issue four instead? It's this weird eye beast. Like, it's just it's, a bunch of eyes. It's a bunch of eyeballs glued together. It looks like somebody went to the glass eye store yeah. and just super glued them all together and gave him legs. Maybe it's all of the eyes that Nick Fury didn't want. <laughs> like, just thrown into another portal or something, you know? I don't know what it was, but it was ridiculous. And uh, the eyeball monster wants to destroy all of the people of Earth. Well, sort of. So it turns out that Doom stole, like, a text from the eye monster's dimension and the eye monster got it back but he tells doom like well for revenge i'm gonna kill all of your servants or all of your subjects and according to doom technically a couple issues (laughs) beforehand he had been the ruler of the earth therefore 
all of the people of Earth are going to be doomed, which seems like such a loose string, right? But I pull on it, I pull on it, right, I pull on right. it, and then it works. And the eyeball monster is looking to destroy the world. So what are they going to do? They're they fight, fight it, it and they get destroyed. Yeah. Basically, there's nothing they can do. And Merlin shows up and is like, "No, no, no! You need to stick the sword in the scabbard because that's how this works." And Tony Stark in the Iron Man suit is the scabbard, and Doom's got the sword. So right. what do they decide to do? Well, there's this moment where. Tony is like, okay, I know it was always going to come down to this. I guess I'll sacrifice myself. But he's invulnerable, so He whatever. can't be harmed. He can't we be know harmed. that now. Yeah. Thank you, dictionary.com. Absolutely. So Doom stabs him right through the chest, like right through the... The Unibeam. Unibeam area. I wonder if he like dislodged any of the metal shards, you know? I think at this point in the storyline of this run... They've the already shard, got his shards moved like, out. Like, in the MCU, he's got this uh, thing around his heart that's just always there, and it's, like, been implanted in his yeah. chest. At this point, that doesn't exist. Well, and they've even... At this point in the MCU, they've taken that away. Like, the shards okay. have just been removed. So, you know, it's... Yeah, he gets stabbed, and it causes them to be able to beat the eye monster. Like, it almost immediately... It gets destroyed. The world is saved. Yeah. Uh, and then Merlin just like pops back into existence with his thing. And he has Excalibur in one hand and Scabbard in the other. Tosses it in the lake for the Lady of the Lake to deal with later. And he's like, all right, see you all later, Daddy-O's. Finger bang! <laughs> yeah, he's still super... They draw him consistently super goofy. Oh. I love it. <laughs> Merlin's such a great character. Yeah, and so he's, he tells him, like, okay, well, you guys saved the day, so I'm going to wipe your memories, and I'll see you all in 2093. <laughs> <laughs> and they're starting to fade out, and Doctor Doom is like, "Well, my memory is fading. Goodbye, Iron Man. It's been fun and seen. Yeah." And yeah. then Iron Man finds the chip, and right. so he's remembering everything that happened. So in present day, he's holding this chip in his hand. He's like, "Fuck Merlin." Yeah, he's like, "What the hell? That dude is a dick." Yeah, and I think they even say like, "There's even word bubbles that just says what the hell.'" <laughs> yeah. So uh, what does Tony do to get revenge? <laughs> he goes to the Scotland. He buys the tract of land that the Lady of Lake is in, and he builds them all over it. This ties right back into 249 and 250, where it starts out with Tony building this brand new mall, opening it up, and then in 2093, Merlin and King Arthur can't wait to show Tony the like existential engineering of 2093, the 21st century, a mall. It's a mall. And there's a Radio Shack inside yeah. and clothing stores. In fact, I think he, the Iron Man suit says Radio Shack it on it does. or something. He, uh, he buys some parts so that he can fly into space. Yeah. In 249, so it has like wing boots that say Radio Shack and in, on it. In 249, when they go to get Excalibur, it's covered up because by the mall. Tony has built something over it. Uh, it's just, it, it, it looks all back in. David, it's beautiful. David Michelini, I just want to say it was a beautiful tie up and the Camelot trilogy. So thank you very much. So we covered almost everything Iron Man up to the first Iron Man movie in the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, so next week. We will cover from Extremis, which is in 2004, up to modern-day Iron Man. So if you want to hear more about uh, the discussion of Iron Man in the comics versus the movies, something about inventions that I'm going to surprise Adam with, uh, check us out next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next week. 